So John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. So this portion of scripture that we're looking at today, it's all about, it's all about disbelief, belief, God's sovereignty, his omnipresence, his eternity, and how it works, how it works with our free will. And also, but mainly, about Jesus' singleness of purpose, what, what he came here for, and what we can learn from that. So Jesus has, as we've seen in the last uh, couple of weeks here in teachings, through Cole and Brent, Jesus has come into Jerusalem for the Passover feast, the Old Testament feast that represents him and his mission, and his mission to overcome the sin of the world, to overcome death. And the crazy thing is, he's not recognized for this. They don't see him. They don't get it. But the very representatives and the keepers of his people and his word, the religious leaders, they miss it. And, and he's beginning his last week of life in the flesh before he goes to the cross. And there's one thing on his mind. What he came here for. What he came here for is on the forefront of his mind. We, we saw this last week um, in verse 27. John 12, 27 says, now my, this is Jesus speaking. He said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So sometimes it's a good reminder for me when I get caught up in some of the details of my faith, some of the little fine details, the gray areas, or when I get a little bit too religious about what I'm doing, sometimes when I get a little too self-righteous, I've been a Christian for this many years and I've read the, through the Bible three times and you know, when I get a little too self-righteous or I get critical of other people or I get judgmental, and I do, or I impress my opinions on another person, it's really important for me to remember, for this purpose, Jesus came to this hour to die for my sins. So that's what, that's what this is really all about. It's the great humbler of all mankind and what everything is all about. There's nothing that overrides this. Absolutely nothing. Sometimes I need that in my life. There's many days I do where I need that kind of a reboot and kind of a fresh start because my sins from yesterday and my sins today and my sins tomorrow, even though I'm saved now, the sins I commit tomorrow but for the blood of Jesus Christ would send me to hell. So I hang on and cling to, and I need that truth and that gift from him every day of my life, as much as the newest believer coming in here. There's no difference. Sure, I do live a holier and holier life as time goes by, but my next sin would send me to hell alongside the unbeliever but for the blood of Christ. It's a great humbler for any self-righteousness pride. 
This is the main purpose of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So in the last week here coming into Jerusalem, he's kind of cinching up everything he's taught the apostles, and also he's being encouraged by his Father and the Holy Spirit to focus on the task at hand. He was also a man. He needed encouragement to move forward and to not be distracted by anything because nothing else matters or has any value or purpose in life if Jesus didn't go to the cross. Everything is pointless. Nothing he taught the apostles or us matters if the way to salvation isn't accomplished. The teachings of Jesus that even some unbelievers in the world, and I know them, I got friends of mine that I've talked to throughout the years that, that believe in the teachings of Jesus, but those teachings of Jesus that even some unbelievers in the world say that they value and they think are, are very, very important and should be looked at, that he was, yes, he was a great man of God, yep, just like so-and-so and so-and-so, what they don't realize is that all of that is pointless if we're still in our sins and destined for hell. So we're starting here in, in chapter 5, verse 37 here, and we see that even the word of God through the Old Testament prophets points to the cross of Jesus and his purpose for being here as being the only thing that draws people to him. Even though he had performed as we read here and we've seen through the gospel, he's performed tons of crazy miracles, never seen before, miracles that no one had ever done. The blind were seeing, the, the, the dead were being raised, and he taught like no one had ever taught. Remember those security guards who said, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. He was very different. Never seen or, or taught or done anything like him, anyone, but that wasn't enough to draw people and cause them to believe, at least not all people. The deal is sign and wonders are very cool. I would like to see more. They're, they're pretty cool. I would like to have seen them. The dead raising, man, that would be very cool. But they don't work. They don't remove sin and replace it with righteousness. So they don't accomplish what Jesus was accomplishing. And here is Jesus coming in, into Jerusalem. So before we, I read our first few verses here, let's just pray and ask him to open up his word for us. Lord God, thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord. It is like it says. It is life. It is everlasting life. It is truth. And it's a living word that changes and, and grows from day to day and changes us, Lord. So, Lord, we, we ask you to open up your word here this morning through your Holy Spirit and speak to us, each single one of us, Lord. Speak to us deep down inside of us. So we, we, we need to hear from you, Lord, every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. So let me read uh, verses 37 through 41, this little chunk here for you. It says, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, 
He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So as you guys know, some people struggle with some of this, with some of these ideas here, saying or thinking that it means that these people have no chance. They have no chance. God is blinding them and hardening their hearts. So how are they supposed to come to him? But that's not the case. Verse 37 says that Jesus showed them many signs. And verse 38 tells us that God has indeed, through Jesus, revealed himself to them. And Paul talks about this in the, in the first chapter of Romans, how God has revealed himself and his glory, how through nature, through, through many other things, and the next step or, or move is for man to respond in some way, to want to know more from God, to move towards him instead of away from him. And we have no excuse. That's the beginning. Man's response in the heart is the next move. And that many times is a very small thing. It can only be seen by God. Sometimes it may not look like someone's moving towards faith in Jesus Christ, but only the Lord knows what's going on in the deep recesses of, of his heart there. Maybe, maybe the door is still open. Maybe he hasn't closed. And I thank God for that, that he sees what's going on in here. So when there's an, an immediate repulsion or rejection in the heart of man that is deciding to move away from his pull or, or the evidence from God, even, even when it's clear, then there comes a time, yes, God can quicken the process and he's really only solidifying what these people are deciding to do already. He sees outside of time and space. But make no mistake, God takes the first step towards man always. But man takes the first step away from God always. I try to never resist the pull or the nudging of God when I feel it now in my life. Sometimes I do, but not as much as I used to. I try not to resist that, that little nudge or that little pull about something that he may be giving me. I know that if I respond to any kind of, of conviction from God to move towards an action or, or do something or resist a temptation or look into a calling that he may have for me, Every time, all the time, he's always right, when I make that move towards it, he's always right there beside me, helping me along the way. Every single time. He's so faithful. But if I immediately resist some of these convictions, or resist his help in, in something, or his calling somewhere, many times that, I know you've experienced it, many times that sense of it, or, or conviction, or the feeling of it, it just kind of slips away. It's just not as, as passionate anymore, or the power to resist temptation lessens too. It just kind of flutters away, and the next day I'm not quite as passionate about it, and then the next day, and then it's less, and then about a week later I'm like, oh, whatever. I must have been just making it up in my mind. So I wonder sometimes how many great opportunities that I've missed because of resisting God's call. Rob, you should go talk to that guy. Yeah, but I was going to go for lunch with my family, Lord. 
It's like, oh, well, I'll get them next time. You know? How many things have I, have, do we all miss when the Lord is going, come on, come on, I want to use you? So in verse 39, it says they couldn't believe the word of God. And that was fulfilled because God saw them doing this before they did it. He didn't cause them to not believe before they did it. It's just a response to their, their instant inside rejection that we saw in verse 37 and 38. They're rejecting him inside. He can see it. He knows. The word of God is always fulfilled. To make it a little bit clearer, commentator Morris says this. He says, he does not mean that the blinding takes place without the will or against the will of these people. So, so with the hardening of their heart, these men chose evil. It was their own deliberate choice, their own fault. So I believe that people of the world need to respond to Jesus when he reveals himself to them, however he reveals himself, the same as us. And he does reveal himself to everyone in one form or another. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the, the tribe and the deepness of the jungle. Well, what about those guys? I think we will see in the fullness of time that God spoke to everyone and everyone who's not with them in, in, in one form or another rejected him. So through the Holy Spirit, he, it's the drawing of the Father. And I believe this is a part of what he meant in the previous verses Last week when he said, in verses 35 and 36, it says, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Now check this out. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So why else would he say that they, they could be overtaken by darkness or become sons of light? But then Isaiah says, if they saw with their eyes and they opened their hearts, then God would continue to pull them and heal them. And like I said, with my own life and how he's pulled me and helped me along, he's always been there, always. Every time I've, I've moved ever so slightly towards him for everything. And I remember that process. I remember when I first started getting any kind of sense of God in my life or that he was there or that he was speaking to me in some way. I may have still, I may have still sinned or fallen into my sin and not repented yet or, or quite got to that state of fully giving my life to the Lord, but I didn't close it off. I remember sensing that he was there even in those times, and I, and I welcomed more, even in the midst of my worst depravity, when I was as the lowest I've ever been. It was almost like more of a desperation then. It, it, I was still in my sin big time, but it was like a desperation. It was like, God, pull me out of this. I can't do it myself. So, there was, so I was still moving towards him. I needed to respond. And Brent taught this quite a few weeks back in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. So it always begins with God. 
He draws people. And God, and, and Jesus also said this, showing that even when, when the Father draws, it's man who closes off their, their ears and, and turns a blind eye to the evidence and the calling of God. Similar to our, our verses in uh, John here, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 15, it says, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. See, he says, and their eyes they have closed. He doesn't close them, we close them. He loves us. He went to a cross for us. He doesn't go, ah, I'm going to harden their heart now and... He wants to come to me, but I'm going to blow him away. No, he's responding to what we're already doing. Verse 41 in our chapter says that Isaiah had a vision of the glory of Jesus and how even through, even though he would reveal himself, some would just choose not to go to him. So then we see a bit of the other response to Jesus, but the pull of the world when that response is there. And our verses 42 through 43 it says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So in these verses from 37 to 43, God's giving us, it's really cool, actually, he's giving us some real life evidence of the workings inside the soul of man and what takes place. For people who hear Jesus, they either reject him or they like what they hear and then they get sidetracked or maybe they're just tempted away or maybe, or maybe they go to him. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole different bunch of responses out there in the world. And Jesus, it's just like Jesus illustrated for us in the parable of the sowers that we all, most of us know in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus planted the seed of his word through the gospel and, and every word that came from his mouth to draw people in, but some seed was sowed on the stony places where people who received the word with joy but had no foundation and they fell away and they didn't pursue. And some were sowed amongst the thorns and received the word with joy, but they were choked by the thorns, the worries, the worries of this world, the pull of the world, Sometimes the opinion of, of men, like, like these leaders here. Like we said, it all comes down to my response to his word, whether I respond by moving towards him or away from him, whether I open the door or I close the door. So people have a tendency, though, these guys especially, but many people in this world, man, when you talk to them, I got some friends who politicize everything. So people have a tendency to politicize or think about the things of God the way, that, the way that men think. Men think in terms of this world, this life. God thinks in terms of, of this life, yes, but more so he's pushing forward towards eternity. So Jesus thinks about the ramifications of this life as they affect eternity. And we see that in verse 42, where, where yes, some of the rulers heard the truth, and, and they were touched by it, le leading towards it, but when they thought of how believing in Jesus would affect their standing in the synagogue, 
their Jewish community, they chose to step away from faith in Jesus. And instead of taking that, that leap of faith towards him, and many people do this in our, our world today. We saw Jesus, his mindset towards this kind of thing and also his singleness of purpose. Even a few verses back, remember when, when the, it said that group of Greeks wanted to talk to him? With the Greeks amongst them, they, wanted, they just wanted to talk to him. Hey, we want to talk to your, your leader there, Jesus. Can you get him for us? So we saw his mindset. Not that they necessarily, that they were, we don't really know. You get it taught lots that they were coming to him and they really wanted to, but we don't really know that they were necessarily coming against him or they were, they were stepping towards him and they were moving for him. But they as a group, they just wanted, they wanted to talk to Jesus. So Jesus knew these kinds of people and their whole mindset and literally, and I think, and lovingly, many times, he just didn't have the time for it. It's like, Sorry, I don't have the time to sit over coffee and blah, blah, blah about all the all doctrine. His time was limited. He was moving towards his death and resurrection in the Father's timing. And the, and the thing on, on his mind was the salvation of souls. So groups like this group of Greeks that we saw in verse 20 and 21 and these rulers who rejected him, they usually have a political or, or an earthly agenda. Some have bad motives, some have good motives, but the, those Greeks earlier, they may have, like I said, they may have just wanted more info. They may have wanted to talk with people who seemed to have attention of society. They go, man, this guy, Jesus, really has grabbed a lot of attention. And they wanted to find out their, maybe their political standing or their purpose, what they're trying to achieve. And they may have been moving towards Jesus, whereas these rulers just outright rejected him. But Jesus, as we see, responded immediately to those Greeks and to everyone and to us here in the world and everyone in the world today with his purpose in this world and how he was going to glorify himself and the Father and how he was, through his death, going to bring people into eternal life. Remember his response? It's, it's quite something, his response to these Greeks wanting to talk to him. Because was it, was it Andrew? I can't remember if it was Andrew. that They asked, hey, can you go ask Jesus? And, and he was going to tell him. And what was Jesus' response? After the apostles had told him that these guys wanted to talk to him, he's, he just goes, the hour has come for me to be glorified. And then later he says, for this purpose I came to this hour. So that is the answer to all of our questions. Political, social, economical, religious. Jesus came to die on a cross for my sins. That's the simplicity of it. We complicate so many things. That is the big answer to every question I have for Jesus. The answer for the rulers in verse 43, the answer for people who ask me so many things about my faith, and they can ask a million details about Christianity, and I can, I can get caught up in a million different biblical details about Christianity. And trust me, if you get me talking, you get me rolling, I'll be talking the guy's ear off for hours. I used to sit at a table with my dad, and we would go, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but dad, you gotta see, Mary wasn't, and then when Jesus said, and he would go, blah, blah, we'd be back and forth for hours and hours, but it's all pointless unless I say, for this hour, he came to this world to die for your sins. 
And they might, they might ask, what will happen to me if I follow Jesus? Just like these leaders here. What will happen if I follow Jesus? They may think, like these rulers, won't I lose my standing in, in, in the community or my job? Well, they think, oh, there's the idiot Christian guy. Yeah, he's not going to be coming tonight. Or as soon as we can, let's fill his space with someone else. Or I, I don't know. But you, you're looking at your standing and your job and your community or maybe your church. If someone isn't, if it's not like a solid Christian church. Well, we know by faith that whatever you lose for Jesus, you will gain astronomically more for him. That's what I love about God's word, that he's constantly giving us his answers, going, don't worry about this because of this. Don't worry about that because of this. Don't worry about this because of this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, we know other famous verses. It says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Who cares about your job? <laughs> Honest. If it comes down to it. Jesus cares about your job and your standing, but not if it comes down to this. And it may in this world, in the years to come. I know it can be difficult in the flesh. Because I, how would I know that? Because it's been difficult for me. It can be dis difficult in the flesh for some people. Because we, we, we carry in our flesh a bit of, of natural sinful embarrassment and shame of professing Jesus. It's in there. It's like, do you know about Jesus? So, you know, we experience it less and less the more we just walk with them. But trust me, push through it by faith. Follow your spirit, your heart, not your understanding. Don't worry about how professing Jesus will affect your standing at work, at home, in the public, and the den, the den, here or there. Jesus has it covered. He's not going to abandon you. This is one of, my, one of my favorite verses we used to use on, on the streets here to encourage us on the street sharing the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then check this out. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of God and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. It's a win-win situation. And he set it up like that for us. Don't worry about it, guys. I got it all covered. If you're saved in me, just share it with the world. God has it taken care of. There's many things that I need to be willing to lose and bypass for Christ, and it's not meant to be seen as, as loss. I've learned in, in, over time, and in many instances, to see some of these things exactly for what they really are, just lies, capital L-I-E-S, lies. Because really, as if I'm really gonna lose something for Christ. It's all his anyways. My goodness, it's all perspective. If I, in fact, get in any position that I have to bypass something or give up something or s for serving Jesus, 
then I need to stop and think it through for a moment and pray for clarity from God. Because if he's calling me to, to give something up, all that means is he has something more for me. He loves me and is caring for me. He is protecting me. He wants me to see the lie that the thing is. And he might even want me to give it to someone else out of love, which is still for me. So it all comes down to this. And this is the Jesus freak thing that I, I used to hear guys like this a few years ago and go like, oh my goodness, these guys are Jesus freaks. It's like Jesus is everything. Period. There is nothing apart from him. That's the lie Adam and Eve fell into, as if there was something more. He's everything that I will ever need, anytime, anywhere, anything, always. Because I know the argument. You can go, yeah, but what about, man, I need a roof over my head. I need, I, no, no, hey, if you have Jesus, if you're, if you're holding him and with him, in him, around, you don't, no, you don't, you don't even need that. You've got everything you need. He is life. If I have him, I have everything. I, uh, why would I want to give that up? I mean, some of the greatest moments of my life have been in the, in the hardest times, the hardest suffering, when he's been so close to me and showing me what... There was one time where he was going to show me actually what it was going to... I was afraid of my, of my life. I thought I was going to die. I wasn't sure if my cancer was going to take me. And he showed me what it was going to feel like ushering me into the kingdom. And it blew my mind. And I said, Lord, can we go now? Or go anywhere with you? This is great. So then, in our last few verses, Jesus lays out for these people and for us his oneness with the Father. He reiterates his singleness of purpose to save us, not condemn us, and how truth is in him. Because he is... He's speaking for the creator of all things. He's speaking for his father. This was to help these people who, who did believe in the God of the Old Testament, these Jewish leaders, Jesus' father. But also, I, I think most of all, he's telling them and reminding us how simple he's made it all for us. To just believe. Open your heart and soul and believe and surrender. And by how John starts verse 44, we can see that Jesus was... He was filled with love and care for these people and us and, want, and wanting that no one should perish. Let me read the, this last chunk here from 44 through 50. It says, when Jesus, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Why? For I have spoken, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. 
Oh my goodness, it can't get much clearer than that. Jesus has been, he's just seen people, all different, like I said, all different types of people. He's just seen people who believe in him, people who don't believe in him, people that do initially believe in him, but they waver a little bit, people that immediately follow him, but then maybe fall off, but people that stay with him, people that question, but they come to him maybe eventually. All different kinds of people, all different kinds of lives that we're all living. But imagine this, put yourself in his shoes. He loves you more than he loves his own life. He loves you more than a mother loves their own child. But imagine this, why he says it this way, but, but you're not budging. He's going, people, people to the world, they're not budging. And he loves them more than a mother loves their, their baby. He knows that faith in him is salvation. So man, if, if we could only see his face in this moment, when it says Jesus cried out, but we, we can if we remember his immense love and just read how John writes it. He says Jesus cried out. And I don't do this a lot nowadays anymore, but I looked up the Greek word, krazo, for cried out really means to croak, the cry of a raven, to vociferate, which is not, it's not just a loud cry, but it's a cry of vehement pleading and loud. So he cried out when he said this section to people. And you guys, we all know the voice. So he, did he care? My goodness, he cares. He's going, come on, people, come on. So the end of his ministry here was coming to an end, and he would give it everything right to the end. The Lord desires the same for us, though, because we're his ambassadors now, right? He isn't here in the flesh on, on the earth. He's here through the Holy Spirit, but we're his representatives. So I love this verse, too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Lord instructs us, this is how I want you to share the love of Jesus Christ's salvation with the world. Remember I said that like, he gives us all the details. We don't, to, we don't have to think. He says, just read it all. I'll tell you everything. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I love this. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So he's asking us, will you do that? He's saying, will you do that for me? with your family, your friends, your coworkers, will you plead to them, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know you can be forgiven for your sins. So, I mean, the question is, do you think he wants us to be passionate about people and their need for salvation? And Jesus? I think so. And in the next little bit there that we read, Jesus does this a few times in scripture, but he, he makes it clear that he and the Father are intrinsically connected and one. If you believe him, hear him, follow him, then you believe in the God of creation of the Old Testament, and you hear the God of creation and follow the God of creation. And the opposite is also true, though. If you don't believe in him, Jesus, and everything he says and what it's all about, then you don't believe God. There's, there's many pseudo-Christian outfits and stuff that have, have a real problem with that. 
He said this much earlier in, in his ministry also, back in John chapter 5. You should spend some time reading it. And he really goes into detail about that, Jesus. He makes it really clear, where he actually says that he can't even do anything unless the Father says it or does it first. The whole chapter 5 deals also with the, with the tie between the Father and the Son, who the Son is, who Jesus is. And like I said, it's a real problem for Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, pseudo-Christian cults, people who say that they believe in God but not Jesus, because in his epistle, 1 John, John is even clearer. In the first chapter of his gospel that we, we have in our hands here now, he says that the word who is Jesus is God. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, he says, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So it's beautiful because Jesus makes it clear in verse 50 that eternal life is found in the words of God, his commands, the gospel, the power of, of salvation. So because Jesus has said that he is just speaking the words that his father told him to say, then he's able to say in verse 48 that unbelief in him already condemns a person. If I don't believe Jesus, who he is, what he says, what he has done for me, I'm condemning myself. Why? Because I'm telling the creator of all things who Jesus is speaking on behalf of his father, I'm telling him, no, I don't want you and what you have. And what's the big thing that he has that we need? He has life. He's the author, creator, sustainer of life. Verse 50 tells us his words, his commands are eternal life. But Jesus tells us in verse 47, judgment is not what he came here for this time. This time, while there is time, he came to save. And I love how John teaches us back and forth with his, with his own, own books. In John chapter 3, verse 17, right after his famous verse, he says, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then he also tells us that Jesus quite literally is the light. You can meditate on that for weeks. He is the light. In verse 46, yes, Jesus brings light into our lives by showing the way and setting an example. But like I said, he is the light. He doesn't just say that I've come to bring light. He says, I have come as a light. I am the light. John the Baptist knew this in the very first chapter of John. John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist saying, I'm not that light, he's the light. Jesus is the light. So you see, Jesus brings the light, he gives the light, and he is the light, and all light emanates from him. All goodness, holiness, life. And check this out, meditate on this for a little bit. I did one, one afternoon, I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Psalm 36, verse nine, says, for with you is the fountain of life, and then he says, in your light, we see light. I know it sounds simple, but if you meditate on it, it's like, whoa, man. In your light, we see light. 
We can't see light if we're not in the light. So he tells us how to walk in this darkness, in this dark world, and, and how to walk into it and not sin, to have life. And yes, you need light, you need truth, but you can't think your way through it because you simply know the teachings of Jesus. If you, if you simply know the teachings of Jesus, like the world thinks, oh yeah, man, Jesus had some great teaching like some of those other great men of God, man. No, you have to be in Jesus, in the light, a part of him, the light. And the only way to, to do that is to believe in him, to repent of my sins, and to ask him for forgiveness and surrender my life to him. And as the Bible says, to be born again. So we'll finish. Um, the, the worship team can, can come up and we'll have a little bit of time of prayer. But let me just finish with this. That whole idea of Jesus being the light. He is the life. He is everything. Be a little bit afraid nowadays, I think, with, with some of the, the softened down gospel that you hear out there in the world. The, the phrases like that you hear all the time that aren't anywhere in scripture of, of saying, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you're ready, when it's your time, it's on your schedule, then just ask Jesus to come into your heart. It's like, what am I, the center of the universe? And I get to decide, I'm not ready yet. I'll let you know when I want the salvation thing. It's like, isn't it, isn't it better to tell people, you know what? The creator of all things, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the author and creator of life itself, eternal life, why don't you go home, get down on your hands and knees and beg him for forgiveness for your sins? Because he tells us what he'll do. He'll, he'll say, yes, I forgive you and open you and hold you with open arms. But we need to be telling people. You need to ask for forgiveness. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, like I, I think, like just beg the, the king of kings to forgive, forgive me, Lord, for everything I've done. Boom, you're forgiven. Step over from darkness into light. And if you, if you, um, if you haven't done that in your life, if you're here today and you've never done that, My goodness, do it. Do it here this morning or this afternoon. Pray with someone when we have our prayer team come up. Go home, go to your bed, get down on your hands and knees, do whatever you have to do, but just say, Lord, take my life, forgive me. And also here uh, this morning too, if you have any prayer needs, we're gonna have um, some people come up for available to pray with you. Come on up and get prayer. If, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're uh, having a hard time with anything in life, with your health, with your faith, you need your faith to grow, um, finances, whatever it may be, we're the body of Christ. Let's pray for one another, and um, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word, Lord, and uh, we thank you for those of us here, many of us, who have entered 
stepped out of darkness into light, into your glorious light, Lord God, and the life that you have for us. Just thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus, what you've sacrificed for us. Help us to bring that into the world, Lord, the lost world. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.